So greetings and welcome back to Hacked Off, the Sakarma podcast. Uh, this time I'm joined with Adrian Thompson, who is a consultant software engineer. Yes, thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, thank, thanks for coming on. Um, so as we do every time, I always ask people, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, tell me your history, tell me how you got to where you are today, and then, then we'll talk about your job role and, and why security is related to it. Sure. What would you like to know? Okay, um, tell me how you first got into computing. Take me right back. Well, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I started off uh, at University of Central Lancashire doing a degree in uh, accountancy. And while I was on the degree in my spare time, I developed a small computer game called Deluxe Pontoon. Okay, now we have, to, we have standard questions from the people <laughs> who say this kind of stuff. What computer did you develop it on? So that that was just at the time mm-hmm. it was it was on a PC and right. it was on it was in actually uh, the uh, old Macro Media Flash before it became Adobe Flash. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I I sent the game to um, a publishing company called uh, can, I, can I say the name? Am I allowed? <laughs> I, Why called, not? Called, I, I Digicon it was yeah, and uh, they um, they got back to me months later because obviously they probably get loads of these all the time and they said they loved it. Um, and they invited me down to their offices, and they said to me, can you rebuild the game in a proper language? Now, obviously... I, like Are you I said, saying that, that <laughs> Flash is not a proper language? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, obviously, you know, um, I was doing an accountancy degree, so this wasn't my skill set, was it? And um, I said, well, what, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, actually, we have this, uh, this language called Blitz Basic. So, it was, it was based on the basic language, but it, was, um, it had a lot of 3D libraries. Oh, right, yeah. So uh, that was always the problem with the basics. I wanted to try yeah, and get the, the 3D graphics exactly. into it. It was hard, the yeah. old line graphics. Yeah, so anyway, I went away and I managed to somehow, because I've never had a, up to this point a computing lesson in my life, managed to somehow rebuild the game in this Blitz so basic. What, what did you do then? What, you, you, you got, take me through it, because this is fascinating. <laughs> you got Blitz basic presumably running on the PC. Yeah, that's right. Right, and you start with 10 print statement, go to <laughs> 20, go to 10, and it, and it runs. What did you do? Did you buy a book on basic? Did no, no, you... no, it all start, no, it all started where, I'm telling you how, originally, you see, I was telling you how I got into the, yeah. uh, into the computing profession, because it was when I finished building this game, and then they took it off me and they sent me um, this, uh, I, I forget what you call it, but a document to sign over the copyright to right. the game. They purchased that from me. It was at that point, you see, ah, where I thought, do you know what, I'm on the wrong degree. I need to stop my accountancy de- degree and switch over to software engineering because I loved it and I was good at it. And I thought I can either be an average accountant or a good software engineer. And I, I can either be bored or do something I enjoy, you know. <laughs> so, so that's how I got into it. But I was actually programming from the age of something like 10. Okay. Because my first PC was, um, well, computer, I should say, was an Acorn. An Acorn. Oh, we, we need a list of all these as we go. Is that the old, that's not the old BBC. No. Acorns. BBC I don't think basic so. Basic Acorns. I don't, I'm, I'm not too sure. I was so young and I never, I didn't keep it. I don't know, I don't know what happened to it. Um, but the f- it had the big clunky keyboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the first computer, because the thing is, I remember having it, but the first computer, I remember 
I've got good memories of using was actually the ZX Spectrum. Classic choice. So what I used to do is the tape drive. Yes, yeah. yes. You have to wait. Yeah. You have to go and brew up several yeah. times. Why? Yeah. Half the time it didn't load anyway. No. <laughs> so yeah. So what I used to do when I was older. So at ten, I was fiddling around, you know. But when I was a bit older, so maybe say twelve, thirteen. I was on this ZX Spectrum, and I, you'd buy, you'd, you'll remember them, the old computing magazines, and they'd have blocks of code you can type out from the magazine into your computer. So I used to do that. Say it was a little game, like, you know, like a text-based game. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the first thing you do, you change like, the number of lives yep. or the money or whatever it is in the game to like 99 or 1,000 or whatever. And then you start getting an understanding, don't you? Yeah, I, I completely remember those magazines. In fact, I've asked people on the show before if they remember the magazines and yeah. you're the first person to remember it because you would save up your pocket money, they would be out on a Saturday, you would go down to the shop exactly. and okay, there were some articles that just had little blocks of codes but the bit I remember was there was a middle page, like a centerfold that would mm. fold out and you have eight pages and it would program Alley Cat <laughs> or something and you would spend the entire of Saturday just typing this thing out on Saturday afternoon, and then you'd hit go, and it would error somewhere, and you'd have to go back and figure <laughs> oh, out the yeah. bit that you missed. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. You know, by the time you got it working, it was time to go to bed, and you, you <laughs> didn't even get to play the game on the day that you, you, it's true, you typed Paul. it in. It's true. Those were the days. Kids don't know what they're missing these days. That's it. So that, that, was, that was my first introduction to programming, but um, it, it's strange because at that point in time because schools didn't teach computers and you, you kind of didn't have in your mind computing or as a job as a job exactly yeah. so it, it's all it was always a hobby and you, you don't think of it as anything else so it was only at this point when I, I sold this computer game to iDigicon which uh, until recently you could still buy it on Amazon believe it or not but <laughs> you got a copy can I get one I might be able to arrange a copy, Paul, send, because send I actually... Me one over. I think one of if my friends... If you can get me two, one, we can put it out as a prize. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I'll see if I can get hold of a copy for you. So I switched over to software engineering the following year, and a good piece of advice I got from the university, they said to me, finish your year of accountancy, don't drop out, because... Get um, the credits for it. Exactly. You might, you might as well achieve something. So now I'm a, I'm a consultant for software engineering who does his own accounts. <laughs> 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 that probably comes with a lot of benefits. <laughs> yeah. um, and you've always got to get busy to fall back on if required. <laughs> yeah. um, so you, you finished the degree. Yeah. Uh, you've done your computer science degree. It's still a relatively new field. But what was your first job? How did you get into doing it as a career? It was a very strange string of events that was really fortunate and worked out really well. So while I was at university... Um, one of my friends uh, knew someone who needed a website. And at first I thought, oh, can't, can't be bothered doing this. But then I realized it's, it's much better earning money building a website than it is working at some shop or something. So I took on this work, built the website, and then um, I, did, I carried on doing pieces of work for this, this customer. Now, they were in the artificial grass industry, right? Mm -hmm. And they asked me later, when I finished university, to carry on doing some work for them. So I thought I'd see how it goes just for a little bit, because I wanted a break from hard work after finishing my degree. So I thought I'd do a little bit. And uh, they said, can you also do search engine optimization? Oh, and SEO. I thought, oh, so, yeah, exactly. So, SEO. I yeah. thought, oh, no, I, I, said, I actually said, no, but it's, it's just too 
basic, too simple. I, I went to university to study software engineering, not... Not, not, not rig you and Google rankings. Yeah, so I, what didn't interest me. But anyway, I found out that the people doing the search engine optimization were getting paid more than what a lot of people that I know that left university were getting paid. So as soon as I found that out, I said, okay, I'll do it for you. And, and that went really well. And I, I managed to achieve a lot of first place rankings for major keywords. And what happened was they sold more turf than any other distributor around the world that was purchasing the turf from this particular factory in Holland, where it was manufactured. So the, the manufacturers said so to... The, the fake grass company was in Holland? The man, the, no, the, the, there was a local company I was working for that, that purchased oh, the right, turf okay. from the manufacturers in Holland. And the, the manufacturers... Resellers. Yeah, that's right. So the manufacturers, so the people at the factory, were saying to this, this dealer in the UK, how come you're selling way more turf than anyone else. What is your secret? So they said, oh, well, we use Adrian to do our SEO. So they wanted to meet me, you see. So I then met um, this, this company in, in Holland. So uh, they, they came over to see me. And then uh, later, they very, very quickly asked me to start working for them to do their online marketing and their web development and eventually their web hosting. But then we very quickly discovered that they have a lot of software requirements. Because I told them, well, really, my degree is in software engineering. So they said, well, one concept that uh, we're working on is um, with regards to football fields. How can they be better maintained? Because, because when, when you manufacture artificial turf for football fields, people think it's maintenance-free. But it's not. You have to do a lot of maintenance on it still. But it's, it's a lot less, obviously, than real turf. So they, they came up with a concept uh, whereby people could uh, enter in um, online into a database the condition of the field uh, and entering the maintenance they've done that week. And then if, if for example, the maintenance lapses, then the warranty would be void on the field, you see, because these fields cost like a quarter of a million in dollars their, in their interest in yeah their exactly. Rocky. So if, if somebody's not doing maintenance because they've not filled in the form on the database, on the website we created so they can, you know, can do this, then they'll say, well, your warranty's void. So this, this software was really valuable to them. So what happened was they later went to FIFA because they were a FIFA preferred producer. Um, for, in other words, they would supply FIFA with artificial turf. Approved. Yeah, that's right. So, so FIFA would buy football fields basically from this company. And um, they, th this company I was working for said, well, would you be interested in, um, you know, using this software. So uh, FIFA were very interested. So what happened was this, this, uh, these line of contacts I had, they grew, you see, because I, I obviously progressed from working in the UK to then working with this company in Holland to then meeting uh, FIFA over in Switzerland. And then when, when I was over in Switzerland, I met lots of other people from around the world. So now I've got contacts all over the world, just thanks to that string of events. That's fantastic. So obviously... You're deep into software development. Um, as you know, we are, we are ostensibly a security podcast. Um, what kind of security concerns and security considerations do you have when you're designing a piece of software or a, or a very functional website? Well, I think the first thing you've got to ask yourself is who has access and what do they have access to? And usually uh, the answer is not immediately obvious because 
as as you know, a lot a lot of the times when you've got like a server, for instance, you know, many of the ports, for instance, can be open, and you've got to close them down, haven't you? So you've, what you've got to do is you've got to really do an audit, haven't you, to say, okay, what are the access points in this piece of software or on this particular piece of hardware, and how can I close the ones I'm not using and the ones I am using? How can I make them safe through sanitization, through access control, through two-factor authentication, whatever means need, you know, is required, and IP restrictions, and, and so on. So it's, it's really trying to narrow down the access. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question, and, and I don't even know what the answer is um, to it, but that, that really interesting, is, is what you've described, so somebody comes to you with a new project, okay? It doesn't matter what it is. And you've got, you know, you need to build the product, you need to check that it works, you've got general user acceptance testing load, paths that they go through, all this kind of stuff. At which point in that sort of project life cycle does the security concerns and what you've just spoken about, when, when does it come in? Is it right at the start? Is it something yeah. you look at at the end? Does it progress as you go? So I would say, um, because sadly, on my university degree, we didn't have any mention at any time that I can recall, at least. There was certainly no formal mention of it, uh, of security. So um, it, was, it was through experience years ago when I was working for that very first artificial grass company that uh, one day the site was running very, very slow. And we just found out it's because somebody was attempting to hack the SQL database on the back end. So accidentally, from that point onwards, I became very conscious of security. Ever since then, um, I've always been aware of it. So I would say to answer your question, Paul, it, it's before a project even starts, you've got to say, right, what are the security implications? What can we do to make sure it's, it, it's secure from day one? And especially if you take an agile approach. I mean, many people start with a prototype. Why, why release an, an insecure prototype? Because you're just creating more work down the line and maybe even there'll be a problem with the prototype. Yeah, I mean, this is... I'm, I'm going to get on to the end and say this is changing. But this is what I've found over and over again, that security isn't minimal viable product. Functional prototype is the most important thing. And then as they build layers and layers of complexity on top of whatever the product is, oh, well, we better get it security tested. They're doing that right before they're going to go live. You start finding problems with it. But because the complexity goes so deep down, some of these problems simply cannot be fixed without starting again from scratch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two interesting points. Oh, we're going to have to have a buzzer every time somebody says GDPR. <laughs> We've managed some interviews for a while without mentioning it, but it's going to come up. One of the interesting things when I started reading through the real GDPR documentation, I don't mean the stuff that people put out online about it. I mean, I actually went and read the whole thing. It does mention security as minimal viable product. So that's interesting that, you know, that realisation mm. has come. And I was once... Some of the most interesting conversations I have is travelling up and down the country and talking to people on trains. I, I don't go out of my way to bother people on trains, but, you know, sometimes you end up having a chat. And I met a person, and um, and we were talking about, you know, what, what each of us do. And he turns out that he, was, um, he wasn't an angel investor, but he facilitated angel investors in tech products. And um, I said to him, can I, you know, can I ask you a question? I said, you know, I've told you I'm from a cybersecurity background. I said, where, where in the list of priorities 
does security come for an angel investor or is it even on the list at all? And he said to me, well, I'll be honest, it's not the top concern. You know, our biggest concern is, can we get it out? Will it be reliable? Is it going to settle? And he said, but you'd be quite surprised that more and more, it's maybe their, their fourth or their fifth concern. Mm. And I said, that's, that's interesting. Why is that, though? And he said, because they're beginning to realise that if they invest all this money into security, oh, sorry, they don't invest the money in the security side of it, and their product has a horrible flaw when it hits the marketplace, then they've just lost their money. And a lot of the times, you know, we're talking to startup companies and, and things like that, and I'm not talking about clients coming to Sakarma, just the going out and talking to people and doing talks that I give about security. And, you know, startup folks will come to me and say, you know, it's really expensive and we can't afford it. So we're just not going to do it. We're going to push ahead with our prototype because we, we want that out the door so we can get our second round of funding. Um, and I, I often say to them, I understand why you're saying that, but, you know, think about the consequences of it having a problem. All your work's out the window. And shouldn't you maybe see this as an opportunity? Because even if you've got a new thing, you very rarely have a unique new thing. It's always doing something that exists in a better way or a more efficient way or a more connected way. I said, you know, can't you, can't you take that and turn it into a selling point? Wouldn't it be better in a pitch when you say, okay, here's what it does, here's how it works, and oh, look, we have at least put concerns into security. Mm. And there's an organisation up in Scotland that um, works with... Um, sensors and IoT devices. And we did a... I think we're allowed to talk about this publicly because, you know, there's nothing closed about, about it. We did a, a sort of IoT amnesty about a year and a half ago and we said, look, come and bring me all your funky new products and we'll at least go through some IoT, basic IoT security fundamentals, you know. Is the password unique? It's not generic, so you just can't hack every single one of your products that has an IP address in the world. Is there a way to force you to reset the password? Can you delete any data that's on it when it gets resold or goes to somebody else? Simple kind of stuff like that. Um, and they were, they were absolutely fascinated because even they had not figured out that some of their products might have massive widespread adoption and some of their products might therefore become targets. Mm. And of course, a lot of the time in our job, we do threat modeling, which at the most extreme cases, somebody says, like, tell me the absolute worst thing that could happen, and then we'll work down from there. And one of the products was uh, internet-connected running trousers, and it would tell you your <laughs> gait and how long you'd been on and, and, and your kind of pace and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. How does it... Um, how does it connect? And the guy said, oh, well, you sync it on your phone over Bluetooth. I'm like, okay, um, that might be a problem. I was like, well, <laughs> why would that be a problem? Because you have to be quite close. And I said, okay, mate, look, imagine this scenario. You've made the best internet-connected running trousers in the world. Therefore, you have sold it to every team in the FA. And therefore... How hard somebody kicks a ball, how fast somebody can sprint, is suddenly data 
that you're just using Bluetooth to connect across. <laughs> Might it not be a better idea to have like a pro product where you just connect it via a little mini USB cable and that would be infinitely safer. You wouldn't have people trying to sneak in and steal the data. Exactly. I said, I'd never thought of it that way. And I said, yeah, you can have that one for free. I'm kicking myself now. If that product ever takes off, that's, <laughs> I could have retired on that idea. I said, you can have that for free, but I want you to start thinking that way. I'm not going to say that's going to happen, but I want you to start thinking that way. He gave no thought to it, did he? No thought to it. But not just no thought to the positive, uh, the positive negative effects, he'd given no thought to the positive benefits of taking security into consideration. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. So one of the reasons, blatantly, that we've, we've got you on is uh, you are associated with the British Computer Society. Yes. And if I am correct, correct me if I get this wrong, but you are the chairman of one of the regional chapters. That's right. And you run um, their cybercrime competition. That's right. And so, the annual event as well, yeah. And the annual event, which I gave up a holiday day for. You did. Thank you so not, much, Paul. Not rubbing we it having in you with all. us. Yeah. Nothing like a little eight-hour round trip. But, you know, I <laughs> deliberately came down for you guys because I like working with you guys. And it's always, I think it's well worthwhile. So let's spend a bit of time to wrap up talking about that. But let's go right back because, as you were saying, um, you know, people don't know what the British Computer Society is. Yeah. So let's start with, what is the British Computer Society? Right, so it's the professional body for IT. And that includes, obviously, computing as well, because I'm sure you'll agree with me, there's a big difference between IT and computing. Yeah. Absolutely. So it includes both. <laughs> um, and what I like to, the way I explain it to people, because some people still don't get it, is if you went to use an accountant, you would hopefully use a chartered accountant. Because Who would be chartered by the chartered body. Exactly. You can't charter yourself, can you? No. Exactly. So you have to be a member of this their professional body in order to be a chartered accountant. And it's exactly the same with the, being an IT professional. And there's, there's different types of membership. You can be a professional member. You can also be an associate member or a student member if you don't have the qualifications, and that still has benefits. But you can also be a chartered member too. Because, uh, because obviously it is a chartered organisation. Now, it, 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 just to give you a more accurate answer, pause. To I can exactly, hear the paper rustling. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to get this right. There you go. A more accurate answer just to cover exactly what is the British Computer Society. I have got the official answer mm -hmm. from uh, the head office. They sent it to me. Um, so what they say is, we promote and advance the education and practice of computing for the benefit of everyone. That's, that's the mission. And they focus activities on two key outcomes. The first is to create a competent and ethical profession, one that's diverse, inclusive, and plentiful in talent at all levels. So in other words, everybody gets the opportunity. And secondly, to benefit society, which is in an increasing, increasingly digital world, by providing access to the needed technology, knowledge, and skills. Now, how do they do it, Paul? They do it by supporting careers, sharing expertise, improving education, influencing practice, and driving standards. Now, full disclosure, I had not heard that before we started recording this. No, you hadn't. I, you can see there's a big smile on my face. I love that. <laughs> and what I love about it is it's not overly technical, it's not overly geeky, it's the words like promoting diversity yeah. and for advancing society. That's it. 
And I think so many times in tech and IT and security, we just get so wrapped up in what the coolest exploitation technique is, what what's going to be cloud expansive elastic this week, what the latest programming language that everybody must rush off and learn. Yeah. And we forget about this kind of stuff. And let's be honest, if we didn't have a fundamental diversity, inclusion and equality problem in this industry, we wouldn't need to have those words. Exactly. Yeah. So just, just to summarise really, Paul, it, the benefits of being involved then in the British Computer Society is, is you can help to advance your own education and your own abilities in computing, in whatever, whatever sector of computing that is. Obviously, we're talking about security today. By being a member of the British Computer Society, because you're networking with like-minded individuals, there's, there's events and seminars and lectures on, on topics of, of, of interest. And there's regional groups. Exactly. So you can meet with a, a regional group as well. So obviously, yeah, there's national events, but you'll have your own regional group. So like I said, I'm the chairman of Preston and the surrounding areas. So but each region, yeah, has How many group. people are in the Preston region? About 1,000. 1, wow. Oh. But we're looking for more because there's, defi <laughs> there's definitely more than 1,000 IT professionals in the area. Absolutely. So why are they not a member of the BCS? Because if you've got a, an accountant who's not a member of their chartered body, you'd ask why, wouldn't you? You... Oh. Yes, yes, you would. I'd <laughs> bookmark that one. <laughs> That's probably the quote or something for the title is in there. Um, okay. Wow, I didn't realise, sorry, I didn't realise it was a thousand. That's that's fantastic and obviously more. Um, Were you thinking it's fantastically high or fantastically low? I thought it was really, <laughs> oh, that's really high. I, I agree with you. I think it's a great number. I totally agree. But if, if, you, if you think to yourself how many people are in the IT profession, and that includes people perhaps that maybe use a computer every day, mm -hmm. but wouldn't call themselves an IT professional because they're still benefiting from that profession. So you have to ask yourself, you know, wh why are they not putting themselves forward to say, you know, I want to also have the benefits of being a member? So what sort of involvement, um, you know, take me through what, what involvement in a regional group is like. So you've got, you've got two types. You've got online and offline. So online, you know, you, you've got your newsletters, you kept up to date with things that are going on in the industry. Um, in, interestingly, again, talking of security, if, if there's anything big in the news about security, that'll no doubt be included in one of the BCS newsletters. So it keeps you up to speed, but obviously that's only one sector. So throughout the board, I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence. So at the moment, there's lots of newsletters going out about that. And um, with regards to offline, Obviously, you'll be kept up to date with local events in your area and national events that may be of interest to. What, what, what do typical local events look like if such a thing exists? So you've, you've got two things. You've, you've got um, what we've done in previous years. We've had, for example, a branch open evening. So that just gives everybody the opportunity to meet other members in their area. And that's all it's about. Who else is in my area? And that's great for networking opportunities, meeting new people, sharing ideas, seeing what's going on in the IT community. But uh, more typically though, more typically, uh, an event will have a theme. So obviously the most recent event we did was the Cybercrime 2018 event. That was a national event though, of we'll get, course. We'll get into that. Sure, sure, sure. But the point is when, we, when there is a local event, uh, the event normally will have a speaker that will talk on a theme. So mentioned artificial intelligence as well. So there could well be, for example, somebody speaking about how artificial intelligence creates jobs, yeah. how it benefits 
the working environment, which is contrary to what a lot of people think. A lot of people think artificial intelligence takes away jobs. So if you're a business leader, or if even if you're just somebody that's interested in, in artificial intelligence, by attending that event, you can further your knowledge and you can meet other people that are in the field to share ideas. Is that people from the group that put themselves forward to give those kind of talks, or do you go out and get experts to come and talk to your group? How does, so does, it, it, does it work both ways? It does work both ways. So obviously it's important each event is planned well and is beneficial. So we'll always make sure that whoever's speaking is qualified on the subject, just, just so everyone in attendance gets the most out of it really. But quite often, Paul, as you say, our own members are experts. So quite often we do have our members speak. And that's another benefit to joining. You know, um, if, if, if anyone is interested in improving their ability at public speaking. Well, there's lots of opportunities to speak at BCS events. Yeah. Okay, so um, tell me about the, the cybercrime event, that side of it. So we had cybercrime at 18, didn't we, on the 10th of December last year, 2018. And you can read all about it. We now have a roundup online, beautiful photographs, quotes, and a few snippets of information. A white paper will be available soon. It's not available yet, but all of this you can, you can read about and see at www.bcs.org forward slash cybercrime 2018. So if you go there, you can Nicely read done. all about the event. We will, we will put a link to, to that in the show notes. Brilliant. But uh, you, you asked what was it all about? Well, our strapline, our slogan for the event was be aware, be secure. And really the point we were trying to make is you... You don't have to be a technical person. You could actually have no technical knowledge. You, you may certainly well not be in the cybersecurity industry, maybe even not be interested in it, but we all need to be secure. So the point is, and this was made very clear at the event, whether you are in the profession or not, awareness is more important than technical ability when it comes to security. Absolutely. And then we had a, a lineup of speakers that would give us different insights into um, really, how can you, how can your organization and how can your devices, both business and personal, be secure? And there's lots of great advice given. Uh, so obviously, you can read more about this in our white paper when it becomes available later. But th these are all great tips from the different professionals, such as yourself, Paul. And we had the police attend, didn't we, as well? Jenny Williams from, Jenny, from the police. Tyson. And from IBM, we had Andy Settle. From, he's IBM X-Force Iris. That's a cybersecurity division of IBM. So that was really exciting. And they have a cool name. Exactly, yeah. So we were really interested to see what is it that IBM are up to, you know? So Andy has some great tips for us on what, he, what his experience was at IBM. And therefore, uh, the audience were able to get some general tips. We had some really great general tips off Jenny from the police. We had some really great practical tips on keeping our devices and, and systems secure from yourself, Paul. But then we had some real insight into maybe how uh, certain incidents were dealt with, like case studies almost from, um, from Andy at IBM. Andy's so a great really, really variation. Good at doing that. Really yeah. good. And we also had a live hack, didn't we, on the, on the big screen? just yes. to give a bit of flavour as to how can a, a system be breached? You know, how easy is it? What's involved? You know, and we, so we demonstrated that, didn't we, on the big screen? And people seem to enjoy that. Yeah, they always like a, a live demonstration of common hacking techniques. I don't like the phrase live hack. It <laughs> sounds 
wrong in some kind of way. <laughs> to, to my ear, it doesn't jar right. And I always <laughs> insist that it's demonstration of, of hacking techniques. Um, now, the other thing that you've run is you've, you've run uh, part of this as a competition with, with various yes. universities. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yes, yeah, so what we wanted to, to do is we wanted at the event to, to, in order to draw more attention to the education of, of cybersecurity. Which is part of the core mission. Exactly, yes, yes. Um, we wanted to uh, give students the opportunity to participate in, a, in an event to, to show their skills and hopefully learn something. And then at the event, they could share what, the, what they've learned. And uh, we, we all learn from each other. I mean, I, I, I helped to obviously design the challenges, but uh, I learned a lot from the students, the way they approached the mm. challenges. It was really fascinating. And each university had different methods and strategies. So what we did was we, um, in the weeks leading up to the event, we had a, an online competition that lasted for five days. And any university uh, is able to sign up for this. It was completely free of charge. And uh, up to 10 students, each university can set up a team. And there's a maximum of three teams per university. Now, in the end, we ended up with eight universities that enrolled on the competition. Only five successfully completed at least one challenge. But out of those five, um, four universities completed many, many challenges. There were 22 in total, and four universities completed at least half of the challenges. Um, no, none of the universities completed all of them, but it was so fascinating, Paul, to see the, the way that each challenge was uh, approached in different ways, and the timings were so unique. So to give you an example, one challenge, what we all thought was really simple when it was designed, you'd think maybe they'd crack, crack it quickly. But in actual fact, the simple ones, because they were throwing technical uh, solutions at it. So for example, one, one of them, the, the username was admin, the password was password. It took some people like half an hour to crack it because they're using tools, you see. Whereas other people that thought, well, I'll just give it a, a try, you know, my own ideas, see what the system's like, type in something random. They would crack it in seconds. So what a lot of the challenges did and what it identified was that at university, students are taught how to approach cybersecurity in a technical way. But sometimes you just need common sense. So a lot was learned, Paul. Yeah, I like that. Sometimes you just need common sense. Obviously, we had technical challenges, but it's amazing how uh, the, some students struggled on the simple ones. I'd like to say, though, that when you put the first challenge in front of me i did type admin and admin and my second choice was admin and password unfortunately the one that you had me do that was not the answer to. so <laughs> no. in my defense i applied common sense you did but i failed sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> some of them were tough some of the some of the, even the common sense we're not give away the answers sure. even some of the common sense ones I, I looked at it and went yes that is blindingly obvious now you tell me <laughs> but it would have taken me three days <laughs> to, just to get there um, okay, so thank you so much for being on. Uh, as always, listeners, thank you for listening to us. Uh, and until we meet again, have a secure day.